I'm not here to poke holes in suspended disbelief. Anyway, they see some weird shit. They decide to make a baby. Thou merkin merchant. Who gives a fuck? Oh my god, we're just going to start calling you Damien Yeltsin's cool boards. Well, you know, uh, I really like it here. Uh, it's kind of nice. And uh, it's not as cold as back home, and the soil is a lot better. So yeah, sure, I think we're going to settle. If I'm a peasant boy who grabs a sword out of a stone. Yeah. I'm able to open people up. Well, yeah. Anytime I hit them with it, right? Yeah. So my cleave landing will make me a cavalier. Good day, sir. If Siskel thought it was empty-headed plebeian trash, he was probably <laughs> really good at groove on it. <laughs> because cannibalism and murder. Pull back just a little bit and build walls to keep out the redheads. Authorial intent doesn't exist. Some people stand up to wipe their butts. Some people stay seated to wipe their butts. Like, it just... This is a Geek History of Time. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher here in Northern California. And um, today, uh, just earlier today, uh, my wife and I actually managed to get uh, part of our garage organized to the extent that you can now see more of the floor of our garage than you have been able to see since the day we moved in um it is it is truly a striking change uh in a very good way uh the the garage now is a much less stressful place to walk into (laughs) uh but it wound up it wound up taking um one of the one of the tasks that was involved uh was there were a couple of old file boxes i had to go through and I wound up basically throwing out 90% of the, of the stuff that was in it because uh, a lot of it was old, you know, tax records and financial stuff, but it all dated back to like, you know, 2010. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so I'd been holding on to it longer than I needed to. Uh, but in the process of going through all that, I found the very first three recommendation letters I got mm. uh, from the end of my student teaching. Um, and that was a little bit of a moment. I, I have to say, um, I also found the grade book, the physical handwrite in it grade book mm-hmm. that I used for my last semester of student teaching, which I mean, I know there are people who still use them, but they're vanishingly rare. Mm-hmm. Like we, you, you and I have a have a mutual acquaintance, uh, who I know, uh, still uses a, a physical, uh, grade book, uh, or at least she did when I last worked with her, you know, year before last, um, and so yeah, but that but that's the only person I can think of. <laughs> like everybody else I know, you know, we all do all of that online now, right? Because it's just so much goddamn easier. <laughs> So, yeah. Well, so well. that was that was a little bit of a uh, uh, brought back some memories, and and there was a certain level of holy shit, was that that long ago? 
uh, that was involved in that. So that was today. Today has been a very fulfilling, but also emotionally a very draining day. So how about you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin and high school uh, history teacher up here in Northern California. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons why I don't use grade books is because the technology finally caught up. Otherwise, I would just use it to record grades per the mm -hmm. district's insistence. But like the system is good enough mm -hmm. that I'm like, okay, that's that beats the shit out of me doing the math. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I have a question for you. Um, the the yeah. 2010 ones. Th so you've been teaching 12 years now. Um, no. Take? no. Well, no. I've been teaching this is nine. Okay. I got I got back into I got I got hired on as mm -hmm. a full-time teacher again mm -hmm. in at the beginning of the 14-15 school year. Okay. Gotcha. So gotcha. yeah, this is like nine years now. Okay. But I went through student teaching in ninety-eight and ninety-nine. Right. And then and I got my first full-time teaching gig in <clears throat> 2000. Okay. In the, in the, in, or in the 99, 2000, no, 2000, 2001 school year. Okay. Because I moved up to Seattle at the end of the 2001 school year mm -hmm. and then was in Seattle in 2001 substituting gotcha. when 9-11 happened. So that's how I keep track of the, of the sure. timeline on that. Sure. So yeah, these were okay. letters of recommendation from 99. Okay. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um so today I I I went to a cat expo. Which <laughs> okay. I my my kids love cats. I was like, yeah. okay, let's <clears throat> let's check it Do out. This. Uh, All right. one of their you know, met one of their grandparents up there. Um and I I will tell you the way of the future is Bengal kitties. Um, there were oh, so yeah. many Bengals and Toygers, um, which apparently, yes, Toygers are a thing. Toyger. Toyger. And the woman who successfully bred Toygers and introduced that breed is the daughter of the woman who successfully bred Bengals. Okay. Um, and the more I hear about breeding cats and all this kind of thing, mm -hmm. the less comfortable I am with any of it. Um, and you're talking to a guy who used to own a pug. So <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Um, um so it just it's 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 you know, designer animals um is I mean yeah. that's what breeding is, and and I'm okay with that on some levels and do what you do and and stuff like that, but it just I don't know. It 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 was it was interesting and odd because you know, dogs have a socialization aspect to them. Cats have a I'm fucking hiding aspect to them. And when they have nowhere to hide but the back corner of their their cages and, and their, their yeah. crates, it's obvious. And there was a place that was adopting out cats, which I thought was fantastic. Yes, absolutely adopt out cats. That's fantastic. Good job uh, being that shelter that does that. I, I'm mm. totally down for that. And there were also breeders who were selling Bengal cats for $17.50. Um, one thousand seven hundred fifty dollars. Yeah. Um, no, I, 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 I knew what you meant. I, yeah. I knew. Yeah. Um, and you know, you had those yeah. within, uh, you know, a baseball throw of each other. Of it, yeah. You know, and that's. I'm, I'm not gonna again. Owned a pug. Went to a breeder. Like, yeah. 
totally yeah. totally get if that's if that's your jam that was my jam you know yeah. for the plug not so much for his looks but for his uh personality but yeah but at the same time there is just something that's a little <laughs> because... off to me about showing off a cat to hundreds of people and it's just like you know got the, the fuck claws off. out and all of like... you fuck off yeah 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 um <laughs> i i just i i have to interject when you said you know chose a pug for his personality mm. no when, when you chose a pug for his personality oh yeah uh i immediately went back to what you talked about about your daughter coming up with the college of the idiot yes um <laughs> yes pugs are the c student of dogs they are wonderful <laughs> in that yeah um you know and 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 it's interesting you know that you, that you talk about you know that dichotomy of you know breeders selling $1,700 cats, you know, a stone's throw away or closer to, you know, a shelter. Um, and that just reminded me of, you know, the, the very uh, different examples within my own circle of friends a number of years ago where uh, one member of my circle of friends spent... I know it was over a thousand dollars, but I don't remember how much more uh, for a purebred German shepherd puppy. And then another one of my friends and his wife wound up adopting a German shepherd from a breed rescue organization. And, you know, just the, 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 the differences in, in, point of view and outlook in in each case and like you know without without being judgy either way right but right. yeah no it's 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 remarkable the the way that different people can develop an opinion or, or a position or i don't know how to describe it but a, but a but a point of view i guess mm-hmm. is the best way to put it on on doing that and like my wife and i have basically like i've agreed <sighs> that as much as I am not a dog person, at some point we are going to get a dog. Oh, good. Um, and and we we've agreed, like you know, we we send pictures back and forth because she she really likes little dogs. Sure. And I'm like, we already have cats. If we're gonna get a dog, let's get a fucking dog. Like uh, we, okay. you know, like I I would. Like if we're gonna get a dog, let's let's go all the way and get a Scottish Deerhound. Like I'm I'm <laughs> like, why are we getting a dog if we're getting something that's smaller than one of our cats? Because Ronald's Ronald's epithet is Lord Jungus for right. a reason. He's he's a right. fifteen pound fucking cat. Like we're not getting a dog smaller than that. I I no. Um, you know, but we, but we've agreed that, you know, even though we send pictures back and forth of like, well, okay, how about a Corgi? How about this? You know, to try to figure out what Mm -hmm. we want to do. I have a soft spot for Corgis, I have to admit. Um, and like, we both agree though, that when the time comes, it's going to be, no, we're going to go down to the, the animal shelter. Okay. And we're going to be like, okay, what do you got here? Sure. You know, um, and that's just our, that's, that's our take on it. Is yeah. that's that's the best breed of dog is a pound puppy. Like sure. you know, and uh, I mean rescue, I, I will be know. the first one to say that pugs should not exist in this world. And yeah. I will I will also say that my pug was an amazing dog 
for all of the years that I had him, mm-hmm. and he was wonderful. And yeah. I do not regret the over a thousand dollars that we spent <laughs> to uh, buy him as a puppy. Um, yeah, you know, it doesn't mean I'm not ashamed of having <laughs> spent that much money on a dog, but really, I wouldn't have guessed that you yeah, were from the but... way you said that a moment ago, <laughs> but. But yeah, it, it just, it does strike me, and this might just be sensibility, it does strike me as odd to be that willing to make cats uncomfortable for a day to show them off. Yeah. That's the part that gets me. Dog yeah. shows are their own weird, and I do not disagree that they're weird, but dogs, by and large, tend to like being around people or there's enough of them that do and who also like being around other dogs. Yeah. It is not so with cats. So no, but cats, domesticated cats yep. left to their own devices will form colonies. So they're not mm-hmm. like totally solitary. Right. But like if but you're not timeshares. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And if no. you're not, and if you're not part of the clan, right. Fuck all the way off, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, cat shows cat shows are are a very different kind of weird from dog shows. Like there yeah. there's there are some common threads, but they're they're yeah. Yeah. I, I so. totally get what you're saying. Yeah. And and Toygers. Like I looked up the picture and I don't even find that to be an attractive cat. Oh, I think they're beautiful. I think it, you know, every one of the cats that I saw. It might be it gorgeous, might be the photo that I saw. Could be. Because there was something about the some about the proportions and the length of the sure. legs, but I mean weird. the lighter underbelly. I mean, it oh yeah, like tire, you know, it's, yeah. it's cool. Um, and and I learned that there's like, and my kids already knew this shit for like three years, mm. but um, there's one that's like basically the corgi of cats. Um, and I'll have to ask my kids what it's called again. You're talking about Munchkins? Yeah, those. Yeah, uh, saw they're, a cute one of those. It's yeah, like they're, they're missing knees. Yeah, um, they're they're adorable, but. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know if I could ethically have one. Yeah, and again, guy like, who owned a pug. Yeah, um, yeah. So no. clearly, <laughs> yeah. I don't mind just like really shoving my thumb in the eye of evolution. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and speaking of which, uh, they had several um, uh, Persians that were just so cute, and I just I, I those just are the pugs. My... Those are the pugs of the cat world. Exactly what I said. I was like, yeah. wow, I must have a thing for short snouted creatures. And both my kids were like, yeah, yeah, you yeah, you got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, when last we spoke, we were yes. talking about third wave feminism. Yeah. In yeah. the context of why, why masculinity turned a certain direction in fantasy films. Yes. Yes. So um, as I mentioned, of course, in 1991, uh, Clarence Thomas got confirmed to the Supreme Court uh, despite Anita Hill Uh, getting on the stand and giving a rather graphic description of the harassment uh, that she alleged she was uh, subjected to by him. It's Uh, too bad that more women weren't available to come forward for that. I mean, that would have been, oh, right. Yeah. Who was in charge of that committee again? Yeah, that was that was Biden. Joe Biden. Joe Biden. He literally didn't allow like Mm -hmm. half a dozen women. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. So good and bipartisan. 
I think yeah. that's great. I'm, I miss those days of bipartisan cooperation. I was at, okay. I, I really don't. It's going to, like. I, mm, infrastructurally, I kind of do, because we had bridges <laughs> that didn't collapse. But Well, okay. Social justice, I'm with you. Although, Barry Goldwater himself was like, I don't care if they're straight, if they can shoot straight. Like, he himself was in favor yeah. of gay people being in the military. So, yeah. Okay, Fucking but Goldwater. I. I yeah, yeah. What did yeah. I say? Goldberg? No. No, oh, I'm, I'm reiterating okay. fucking Goldwater. Yeah. I was like, like already all people. a wrestler? Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I was at a school board meeting uh, the other day, shockingly enough, um, yelling at people. And nomine patria affiliate spiritu sancti. <laughs> You're welcome. And uh, Oh, no, so... that was that was a blessing on you. Oh, oh. Okay. No, no. No, no. That was... <laughs> that was go with God, my son. Whether yeah. you realize it or not, you're doing his work. Anyway... <laughs> So I was there, and there's there's always one gal who gets up and uh, talks about um, just batshit crazy stuff about um, COVID. Uh, so she did her thing, and I was there with my with my social media union thugs. Um, we call ourselves yeah. Smut, um, and <laughs> um, <laughs> how did I not know that until now? <laughs> I'm making it up. Anyway. Oh. All right. Yeah, yeah. But you need shirts. Oh, I should get a shirt. Like you, yeah. That. Yes. Okay. Uh, but I was there, and and there <laughs> are a few other of my union friends there. Yeah. And after we spoke, this guy got up, and he and 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 the the bus drivers have been speaking about how underpaid they are, and how inhumane this is, and how. They have reduced the number of bus drivers by virtue of not paying people well by two thirds, and that's killing the rest. And so, Jesus, oh yeah, it's it's terrible, and it's going to wind up killing kids. Uh huh. And which is kind of their their points. They're like, look, you want these kids to be safe. You know, putting kids first doesn't mean like putting them in front of the bus before it goes. Um, <laughs> but that's a good way of phrasing that they you want these you know so so this guy gets up after and he says you know what i i i i've heard all these bus drivers talk and i gotta say like um you know you you say you want a living wage and and i think that would be a good thing for you and that twigged me and i just i kind of turned to my friend that i was there with i'm like can keep an eye on this guy and then he starts talking about masking and and how it's clear that we're done with the pandemic and blah blah blah. And someday this this part of this episode will time out, but right now it won't. Um, and he goes on and on and about how you know it's much more important for his kids' mental health to be able to see each other than than to be masked and like just completely fucking leaving aside all marginalized communities and people with autoimmune stuff and stuff like that but um on top of that i turned so he's going on and on and on and i turned to my friend and this is the long way around the block as i do um i turned to my friend and i i say god i just love liberal male allies don't you and uh she she says um she says to me, she's like, are, are you serious right now? I'm like, no, I'm completely <laughs> sarcastic. Like, he's the worst. He's the fucking worst. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Liberal so, male allies. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. just, you know. So anyway. yeah, I, I love I love how we how we how we chose to open with, you know, you're talking about wanting a living wage. I think that would be great for you. Like, 
He do it's you like, think it's like he you... silently said people, you know? Yeah. For you people. Yeah. Do do yeah. you do you think you're somehow going to like win your audience over? Like that that segment of your audience is gonna think be like he does. I think he thinks that. And actually, I, I was paraphrasing. I think what he actually says is that sounds like a good idea for you. No shit, Sherlock. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, oh, thank you for telling me the thing that eight of us came here to say. Like, yeah. I mean, there, there, there are, of course, ways to be more condescending than that. But you kind of have to look for them. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of a big oof. Like, yeah. Thank you. I, I guess, like, do, do you expect a pat on the back? Do you, the perennial, the perennial question, do you want a cookie? Yes. Like, Jesus. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, liberal ally helped get uh, a, a serial abuser onto the, uh, the Supreme <laughs> Court, yeah, uh, where he could be just kind of broomed and and not be important to any policies. Oh, for the next yeah, 30, not years. not have any significant yeah. impact on yeah. on social justice issues. Yeah. In for, fairness, he did know, recuse decades. himself from a court case in 1995, I think. Um, yeah. So yeah, he he okay. did show that Great. that could be done the, once the one the one time. Yeah. The one time. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so that happened in, in 91 and that led to, as I mentioned at the end of our last episode, but I, I think it's worth repeating. Um, Rebecca Walker uh, said in an essay in Ms. Magazine, I am not a post-feminism feminist. I am the third wave. So, of course, as we've discussed, but to go over for anybody who's, you know, jumping in at this part of the buffet, uh, first wave feminism is to simplify. Uh, and, and of course, I'm going to defer to you because it's literally what you have a degree in. Uh, but uh, first wave feminism is essentially getting the vote suffrage as a right for women. Yeah. Second wave feminism, as I mentioned in prior episodes in this series, uh, had to do with uh, larger systemic issues mm-hmm. of of inequality. And now third wave feminism is essentially rooted in the belief that um, the work is not done. Right. And we need to maintain attention on these things. We need to maintain pressure. Yeah. Because there is backlash and and we even without backlash we still have a long way to go i would add to that that there is an overwhelming whiteness to it yes waves one and two and many critiques for three yes and and also thank you for bringing that up because that is an important part of third wave feminism is the introduction of the idea of intersectionality really becoming a thing um so now third wave feminism, uh, one of the ways in which third wave feminism is embodied uh, was in the riot girl with three R's movement starting in the early nineties out of Washington state zines. Yes. Yes. And it was uh, going back to a subject of an earlier set of episodes. It was a punk movement 
uh, that explicitly apply to punk ethos to feminism. And the stated raison d'etre of Riot Girl was defined in a tour flyer for Bikini Kill. And and the quote for this is, and this is this is some powerful stuff, because in every form of media I see us, myself, slapped, decapitated, laughed at, objectified, raped, trivialized, pushed, ignored, stereotyped, kicked, scorned, molested, silenced, invalidated, knifed, shot, choked, and killed. Because a safe space needs to be created for girls where we can open our eyes and reach out to each other without being threatened by the sexist society and our day-to-day bullshit. Because we girls want to create mediums that speak to us. We are tired of boy band after boy band, boy zine, there's the zines, after boy zine, boy punk after boy punk after boy because I am tired of these things happening to me. I'm not a fuck toy. I'm not a punching bag. I'm not a joke. Yeah, it, it doesn't get more um, manifesto than that. Oh, not at all. Yeah, it's it's a boiled down uh, whereas, whereas, whereas even. Yeah. Like it really is just like digging into the core. Oh, yeah. So and And all of the critiques there like all of the examples because in every form of media i see us myself and all those verbs slapped decapitated laughed at objectified raped trivialized pushed ignored um you know there's there's a term in in media that comes from comic books talking about female characters being fridged yes uh yeah you know uh from taken from what happened to green lantern's girlfriend yeah, you do something in so DC horrific Comics. for her that it moves yeah. him forward in his plot. Yeah, that and and that's and that's essentially that that reduces her a, the female character's whole role in the arc to being a motivation for the male character, right? Yeah. You 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 have removed her agency and you have dismembered her literally. Literally in that yeah. instance. Yeah. And in the most grotesque and horrible way so that he can then grow. Yeah. Yeah. So third wave feminism focused on, as I said, making sure that the gains of the first and second waves weren't taken for granted. So they highlighted issues of sexual violence, continued fights for policies affecting women in the workplace, maternity pay, maternity leave, pay equality, uh, and general consciousness raising to keep the pervasive sexism in society at the forefront of awareness. It's like, yes, there are laws on the books that say you have to pay us the same. There are laws on the books that say you can't discriminate against, you can't fire women for getting pregnant. You know, there are laws on the books that say you can't refuse to hire a woman because, well, you're just going to get married and get pregnant and, you know, not stick around for it. Like, you can't do that shit that's on the books. But that's not the extent of the problem. And so in 1992 and 1993, female representation in the U.S. Senate more than tripled. Now, that's from two members to seven. So that still sucks, but it's a dramatic increase. Again, like don't ask, don't tell. It's, It's a shit sandwich, but it's still a big step forward. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was appointed to the SCOTUS in 1993. Yes. Janet Reno was the first female attorney general. Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton was the first U.S. First Lady to have her own legal and activist career. Yeah. And I mean, you could, you could point to Eleanor Roosevelt, but she didn't do it afterward. officially with degrees and stuff like that. 
Yes. Like she did it by force of personality. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and most of that was after becoming first lady. Yeah. That was using, she, Eleanor <laughs> Roosevelt is a really good example of using mm-hmm. the position of first lady to get shit done. Like, yes. okay, I'm in this position. This is a mostly ceremonial position, but you know what? I'm going to knock some bodies down with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and like all, all power to her for that. That's awesome. Yeah. But when we're talking about demographic shifts and when we're talking about changes in the popular imagination, mm-hmm. the fact that Hillary Clinton had been a pretty high powered attorney yes, and that she had had her own activist career prior to her husband becoming president of the United States is an yeah. important distinction. Yeah. I would point out also that in 1990, the beauty myth was written by Naomi Wolf, who okay. unfortunately now is an anti-vaxxing fucking crazy person. Oh shit. Really? She, you know, I, I really do need to do an episode on Roseanne Barr um, because it's, it's that, that problem of you were contrarian to the power structure and you were right because you were you were speaking truth to power, and you took the wrong lesson, and you just kept being contrarian. Oh, um, uh, okay. And right. and you stopped doing the work in a lot of ways, and you started sniffing your own fumes. Um, yeah. But I really genuinely think Naomi Wolf did that, which is a shame because she also wrote a, a really good book in two thousand four called Letters to a Patriot or something to that effect. Okay. But in nineteen ninety, she wrote the Beauty Myth, which. Uh, you said um, the the article in Ms. Magazine came out in 91? Yeah. Okay. So there's already, of course, you know, it wasn't, you know, she did that and everybody clicked on a light. Yeah. Um, there was stuff that, that was, was That was the crystallizing. Yes. That was the that first was, time was... you see the, the word yeah. third wave, you know. Yeah. But the beauty myth really, really attacked the patriarchal uh, uh, um, onslaught. Uh, about a woman's role and a woman's value and things like that. And it's a really mm. good book. It still holds up today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I recommend that people go steal a copy because I don't want to give her any more money. Um, <laughs> Check it out at the library. Yes, yes. Uh, because fuck her. Um, but and, uh, and support your local library. Exactly. But she wrote a really important book. I mean, it was, it was, yeah. it, it is one of like, it will be on most syllabuses uh, when talking about third wave feminism. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so and then there's there's a whole there's a whole laundry list of uh advances that that get made in in uh the feminist sphere in in during the 1990s. It was it was a mm-hmm. big decade for for that, and third wave feminism was a big part of that. Uh very importantly, um it took until it was either 92 or 93. I didn't write it down uh, very well in my notes, but uh, marital rape was legally defined as a crime in the UK. And I want to say it was 92. I think you were right. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so, so the very idea that a woman in a marriage has the right to say, no, seriously, I'm not in the mood. And and have that mean something legally if her husband, you know, doesn't agree, you know, if, if her husband forces himself on her, like that the 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 legal assumption. 
I like it. It boggles my mind. the The legal assumption was, well, you're married, so you can't you can't accuse him of this. Like, I swear, it's got to be tied to the idea of if you're married, you can't be compelled to testify. Like, okay. it feels like a dark side coin of that. Okay. Like, like yeah. if you're married, you can't be compelled to testify against your spouse. Also, seems like the same kind of bullshit. Just in a yeah, a it has the same it it, it has the same chords. It might be a different melody, but okay, yeah, it it because it's like why why is this privilege of marriage giving me auto giving me rights over somebody else's autonomy, and yeah. why is it shielding me from their legal obligation to answer a subpoena? Yeah, you know, but yeah. 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 So importantly, between the 80s and the 90s, there's also a demographic shift involved. So those 80s movies came out when boomers were famously entering their 30s. And still really into cocaine. Well, okay. Yeah, there's that too. But but I, I mean, you know, I, yeah. I mean that though too. Yeah. Cocaine is a very, uh, it can lead to a lot of aggression kind of drug. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, the Lord of the Rings movies had Gen Xers in the same demographic position. And, and a number of things were very, very different from, for our generation than they had been for the boomers. Yeah. They were into ecstasy. You, well, and yeah. And I'm serious again. Yeah. Like... No. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm serious in my response to you because, <laughs> um, you know, let's, let's look at what our, uh, emotional landscape looked like as kids for, you know, the, right. the over, overarching majority of us latchkey kids, yeah. um, you know, uh, figured out in, in many cases, you know, how to operate the, the microwave and, you know, feed yep. ourselves without parental oversight, had a computer room, had a computer room, yep. you know, um, and Nathan's so, yeah, internet. yeah, but I, I spent, the, spent my point about the, the MDMA, yeah. <laughs> the ecstasy though, is that, um, you know, cocaine, lots of fucking ecstasy, yes. lots of sex. Okay. I dare say there's a difference there. There you, yes. You know, there, there's a, yes, there's very significant uh, resonance difference yeah. there. We had been told, um, I know by the time I started college, I had heard that I was going to be less well off than my parents for the first time since the great depression. This is largely borne out by facts. Um, yeah. As as Gen Xers entered their fifties, uh, they were on average forty three percent behind the wealth of boomers at the same time in their lives. Oh wow! Yeah, it's it's a it's a big gap. Now it's worth noting that uh, millennials. <laughs> well, yeah, that, <laughs> yes. Uh, it's also worth noting that millennials are even worse off, and and Zoomers. They haven't they haven't gotten to that that phase of their lives, but all indications are they're going to be in an even shittier situation. Uh, the purchasing power of the dollar had flattened out since the devastating losses of the seventies. It had dropped precipitously from seventy to seventy nine, uh, but then it, it leveled out from there. Mostly continued to drop because that's just the way purchasing power works. But it, it was not dropping at the same rate. But wages had famously stagnated during the Reagan years while the cost of living had increased, meaning Xers were effectively poorer than the boomers had been at the start of their working lives. Okay. 
So we just knew that our working lives were going to be a shit sandwich. Like, you know, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to have the lavish retirement that your, that your parents have. Right. You're not going to have the same level of cushiness uh, in, in your middle age. You're going to have to hustle harder. Like we just knew that, like it sucks, but we just knew it. Right. We also grew up with, uh, Hey, it's one of those, you get this stability through the worst way possible. We grew up with no-fault divorces being the norm. Yeah. And therefore, women had the ability to leave an abusive yeah. relationship. Yeah. And go out and make it on their own, certainly at 70 cents to the dollar still, but they could actually leave. They could actually sign shit in their own names. Like yeah, We it grew was, up with that being the norm. Yeah, it was a viable option to say you know what? Um, you're an asshole. Yeah. I don't have to put up with this. It like, yeah, it's going to suck, but I don't have, like, I have the option. The, the, the the option actually exists. Yeah. Yeah. My marriage is still a choice of uh, a matter of volition now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm doing research for, um, one of our projects down the road, Mm. uh, a cartoon, uh, the second season of a cartoon that I'm, that I'm watching all of, you're welcome in advance. <laughs> okay. But anyway, there is a character who talks about um, Halloween with his kids. And I'm like, well, that's a little weird. You know, nobody's talked about their time with their kids. The only one I'd, I'd seen was the previous season where he was talking to a nephew of his about how they were actually both adopted. And that nephew was like, what, really? And he's like, yeah. And you know what? You know, maybe maybe the family that adopted me is actually better than the family that I would have been born to. Wow, I never thought of that. Thanks, Uncle. Sure, no problem. Let's go back to fishing. But in the second season, there's a character who actually uh, is divorced, mentions his ex-wife, mentions that he has kids, uh, and is still working for this top-secret uh, organization. Okay. Uh, yeah, which is kind of interesting that, that that worked its way into a latchkey kid c- cartoon. Yeah. Um, in nineteen eighty six. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Remarkable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that was that was part of the pattern on the wallpaper for us when for our silent generation or boomer parents, that would have been right. a big fucking deal. Also less right? wallpaper in our generation. Yes, generally. Yeah. Notably, yeah, aesthetically speaking, a much, much uh, less significant factor of interior design uh, during our childhood. Um. So, yeah, so we're, we're used to that. We're used to this idea of um, financial autonomy not being tied to gender. Right. Basically, and and it all is just sucking a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, and and everything is like, just a you little. You can bit have autonomy, difficult. but it's gonna be shittier for. But it's everyone. gonna suck. It's like, well, yeah, you don't have to have both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then for the boomers, mm-hmm. the Cold War was this thing that got thrust on them in their childhood or or this right. or this thing this thing that in their childhood was this gigantic looming terrifying thing that they were programmed to be constantly aware of 
Yeah, and existentially afraid of. Yeah, yeah, existentially afraid of. Whereas for us, it was always in the background, and there was always this looming level of kind of anxiety about it, but it was just always there. Yeah. And, and, and... It didn't really grow and shrink in our consciousness. Whereas they lived through... Pre-Cuban Missile Crisis, post-Cuban Missile Crisis. Missile Crisis, you know? yeah. They lived through pre-H-bomb, post-H-bomb, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas for us, it was, no, no. Um, the adults around us are debating about, you know, the adoption of the MX missile system and multiple uh, independent re-entry vehicles. And we understand this is all really serious and very scary. But while they're talking about this, we're eight years old. Right. So we don't understand why this is so serious. Like we, the, the context is entirely missing, right? Yes. You know? Um, and so then when we got to be, uh, let's see, 14, 15, or mm-hmm. if you're older than that, older than that, but then in our, in our teen years or early twenties, depending on what, what age of Gen Xer you are, the Soviet Union completely collapsed in 1992. Right. And so we saw uh, the evil, evil empire in air quotes fall apart. Mm-hmm. And the United States was left in the position of global hegemon. Like, well, we saw okay, yeah, victory we, too. Like yeah. not just like they, that happened isolated and, and, Oh, I guess we're going to pick up the baton. It was, we won. Yeah. We won without having to fire a shot. Yep. You know, ignoring all the proxy wars. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Never mind all the. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But but in in the perception of dominant culture mm-hmm. in the United States, it was it was a win. That's one in the W column. Yep. We had lost Vietnam, but we won the Cold War. Right. Right. And prior to September eleventh, two dominant American culture was largely unaware of the threat of global terrorism. Like we knew, we knew that stuff happened. Like obviously Lockerbie was a terrible tragedy. Obviously, um, you know, the bombing of the Marine barracks in, in Lebanon was awful. But when Mm -hmm. that happened, that was, that was back in the eighties and we were still kids. Um, And so we, and I'm speaking broadly for Gen X, Mm-hmm. We did not see the outside world in a in a global political way. We didn't see the outside world as a real threat. True. We we saw we're the hegemon. We're the we're the only at after ninety two. We're the only global superpower. Like the Soviet Union has fallen apart. It's now us and everybody else. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, the, the popular perception within our culture was there is no near peer. And yeah. so we didn't have the same level of, uh, lo- we didn't experience that sense of loss of prestige, that sense of loss of power. We didn't feel mm. for those of us who were, who were, you know, cis men we didn't feel unmanned true by our circumstances it was things are gonna suck but we've always known things are gonna suck this isn't some kind of big you know terrifying change that's come about for reasons we can't 
you know, uh, yeah. uh, that we can't adequately describe. No, it's just shit's going to be harder for us. And it just kind of gradually you know? did that, too. It didn't yeah. do it in any kind of cataclysmic way for us. Yeah. Overall, like, don't get me wrong. There were cataclysmic things that happened. Yeah. But there there was there was no Great Depression for us, even yeah. even like going forward a few years for a second, the housing crisis and shit like that, like that hit people who were kind of trying to reach the bottom rungs of the middle class. If people were in the middle class. um. They, they were they were more insulated from those shocks. Exactly that. Yes, they were yeah. more insulated. It 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 doesn't mean that people didn't fall from their spot on the ladder, but uh, the people that really got knocked out were the people that were just gaining entry in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for our generation, um, we had been exposed in school mm-hmm. to to consciously feminist media True. that 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 took boomer ideas of self-expression freedom of identity and all that you know hippy dip you know i'm mm-hmm. i'm you know let your freak freak flag fly be you be true right. to you follow your bliss all of all of those ideas that that you know the boomers had latched onto because mm-hmm. like they they didn't want to be the man in the gray flannel suit sure all of that then got funneled to us mm-hmm. and and the example in my own head that immediately jumped out at me is um free to be you and me uh you know uh, marlo thomas and friends mm-hmm. um there was a uh a tv there was an album that they that they recorded that was that was a bunch of skits and songs and and stories that then got turned into a TV special back in the 1970s oh. which then got shown to me and all of my classmates in Scripps Ranch, California, okay, on rainy days when there wasn't anything, you know, when right, when, right. you know, like what are we going to do? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll show the movie. Mhm. And I must have, I, I vividly remember watch, watching it in the first grade. Mm-hmm. And I know I watched it several times throughout, you know, second and third grade. And <clears throat> it was, it was a staple in my mm-hmm. school days. Uh, and it had been made. Uh, well, it was, it was shown to me ironically at the same time that the film industry mm-hmm. was busy trying to reaffirm the masculinity of adult men with hypersexualized and hyperviolent action movies <laughs> while i was being shown the story of atalanta uh uh-huh. running the race and um, choosing to fall behind almost yeah. yeah and 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 all of uh, you know the, the stories that went along with it in in that context right um and that the the movie the the tv special that was turned into the movie that I was watching in school mm-hmm. had been made at the same time period that Phyllis Schlafly was campaigning against ERA and Indeed right. Bryant was busy denouncing homosexuality. <laughs> uh, you know, and chronologically this is second wave feminism, right? Right. It absolutely is. Yeah. But it laid the groundwork for third wave because it was busy mm-hmm. programming 
you know, teaching me yeah. and my female classmates that like, no, you don't have to put up with this shit. Yeah. You yeah. know, for the, for the girls, it was, you don't have to put up with everybody telling you, you can't do this. Right. You know, you can do whatever the hell you want to do. Right. And for me and the other boys in the class, it was okay. You don't have to wear a specific color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. you can wear pink. Like, yeah, that's, and I'm trying to think about like know, when the color pink came in as a t-shirt color, and that would have been around 2002 to 2004. Yeah, yeah. So that makes a lot of sense too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that all tracks. That all tracks. Okay, and so, um, speaking of Anita Bryant and homosexuality, mm-hmm. um, Gen X is notably more tolerant than the boomers in regard yep. to queer issues. According to Pew research, 59% of Xers overall support gay marriage mm-hmm. uh, compared to 45% of boomers. And that's overall, if you take um, Christians out of the equation, self-identified Christians out of yep. the equation, uh, Xer support uh, goes up to like 79%. <laughs> Um, and so those, those numbers, of course, were lower in years before 2015, but across right. the board, the difference in opinion was mm-hmm. significant. Yes. And so basically what I'm saying here is that Xers, uh, had a less threatened view of masculinity as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so when they turned to fantasy for their escapism, they reverted to much older character archetypes. Remember that the Lord of the Rings was written, mm-hmm. you know, back in the back in the thirties, back in the forties, right? Right, right. And and Tolkien was drawing on archetypes from even long before that, right? And so this is a much older, much less cartoonish depiction of masculinity. And well, up and, until and, oh, and I mean Tolkien is as we've said he he accidentally allegoried his experiences in World War 1 right yeah. the concept of masculinity in World War 1 is is where it's it's baked in mm-hmm. which means that almost well certainly 80 years later um these movies which stuck to the spirit as you had said were actually showing us Edwardian mm-hmm. ideas of British masculinity. Yes. And there yes, was yes. a tremendous amount of tenderness that was shown in those trenches. There was a tremendous amount of emotion that was shown. Like I remember um a documentary I saw on on World War One poetry. Or no, mm-hmm. no, no. This is a, a podcast that I listened to from the BBC. And they said, oh, yes, uh, it, it, it was very common for somebody, you've got five minutes between this and that thing, uh, to scribble out a verse that absolutely sticks to the, the, the you know, the, the strictures of that particular style. So if you mm-hmm. went dactylic hexameter or trochaic septameter or whatever, um, and you would, you would regularly, soldiers, at, at all levels, mm-hmm. okay, not just the officers. But soldiers at all levels would regularly pen out poetry to explain their feelings. Mm-hmm. Like that was a normal fucking thing. Um, and so it's it's really interesting that you, you know, you bring it back to that because 
what we're seeing in 2001, yes, you got third wave feminism. Yes, you have our generation grew up less threatened by anything that wasn't like raw meat Hulk Hogan. <laughs> um, you know, the, the yeah. Hulk Hogan stuff happens in the 80s. Big cartoonish muscle guys. He's just fucking uh, the ultimate warrior. His mm. name is the ultimate warrior. He <laughs> looks like a girl's bicycle um, with muscles. Uh, and <laughs> you're picturing the streamers, aren't you? <laughs> and the hot pink. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you've, you've got those guys and then they give way to lighter, smaller and, and very cut, very athletic, but they don't show them off. They're not, yeah. I can't think of a wrestler in the nineties that wasn't Hulk Hogan who, who was super popular, who only wore trunks. Everybody had mm. tights, yeah. covered their legs, um, yep. had a singlet, that kind of thing, um, you know. And then you you get more into it in into the late nineties again as the attitude yeah. era picks up. But um, but yeah, so we go back to two thousands. You've got all those things happening. Uh, a, a culture that is willing to accept Tolkien essentially, mm -hmm. and I just I find that who, really who interesting. who longs enough for that. Mm -hmm. That again, the movie made eight hundred and ninety-three million dollars. Yes. Sorry, hold on, I got to find my stats again because it's not a because made over eight hundred uh, million dollars. Eight hundred ninety-seven million off of a production cost of ninety-three million. So yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, shut up and take my money. Like, yes, yes. I want to see this. Thank you. Shut mm -hmm. up and take my money. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and and up until 9-11, our generation didn't have any reason to see the U.S. as diminished in the way that Boomers and Silence had felt in the 1970s. True. Because our status on the world stage wasn't sinking. And yet like, at the same it, time, financially, we knew we were fucked. It's yeah. It's really weird. It's a it's we're we're a fucked up generation. Like we, like we as a as a demographic clade. Mm -hmm. we have so many issues it's yeah. not even funny yeah. like there's a whole and i'm sure you've you've seen some of it there's a whole uh uh what's the word i'm looking for ecosystem is mm -hmm. is the closest i can think of right now but i've had two beers um but but there's there's a whole there's a whole swath of tiktok yeah. that's just that's just hi i'm a gen xer and we're fucked like yes yes you know well, um, one of my favorite things was there was a news report and somebody screen capped it as a news report explaining all the generations and they literally left they, gen x out yeah they literally <laughs> completely yeah like, like oh this is the most gen x thing you could have done yes <laughs> that is that is that that is that is something that was that was almost certainly done by a zoomer yeah you know and you know early 20 something who who knows about millennials and boomers having a war right and hasn't ever realized that no 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 there's there's a whole demographic group mm -hmm. yeah in the middle there who had no problem with the lockdown because oh oh it's, it's like again. going back to middle school again <laughs> it's really yeah like okay great i got to make my own ramen in the microwave and yep. you know like what's on tv yeah. Yeah. We're oh, good. I'll watch reruns again. Yeah. Oh, hey, this yeah. is what I've been training for literally my entire childhood. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. 
and and so so that's that's my my mm-hmm. historical context take on on that depiction of sure. masculinity and why that worked now we're going to fast forward to 2011 okay and uh now we're going to have a little bit of a demographic shift not as dramatic a one mm-hmm. but there is going to be one Mm-hmm. And now during that time period, uh, first of all, we have the blossoming of the effects on, on dominant culture's psyche mm-hmm. from 9-11. And I, and I say that very carefully that way because, of course, the Lord of the Rings films opened in 2001. Right. Okay. Uh, but they had been made prior to 2001. So... Yes. So 9-11 hadn't happened yet when when the films were made. So we true, have true. the attacks of September 11th. Mm-hmm. We then immediately go to war, the United States anyway. We immediately go to war here in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And we are in Afghanistan for forever. Yeah, we as of this recording, we just got out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, as, as of this recording, we just got out like a few months back. Yeah, yeah last was, summer. Yeah, last summer. Yeah. Um, so, so that war started in 2001 and then in 2010, mm-hmm. we had the surge under the oh, first Obama administration. Don't forget. We also invaded another country. that had nothing to do with anything. Oh yeah. No, I hadn't gotten there yet. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. No, we invaded Iraq in 2003. Yeah. Uh, on the insistence that there were weapons of mass destruction. Well, cause Al Qaeda has the letter Q in it. And so does Iraq. So clearly there's a connection. <laughs> you know, I I wish the arguments had made that much sense. <laughs> Fundamentally, yeah. Frankly, I wish the arguments had made that much sense. So, but but you know, the argument got made that, you know, they've got a, this nuclear program and there was something about yellow cake uranium mm-hmm. and centrifuges, you know, chemical weapons, and centrifuges yeah. and all this stuff. And yeah, it turned out that was that was a load of horse shit. Um, yes. But we were still involved in occupation efforts mm-hmm. until August thirty first of two thousand ten. So that's so that's seven years. Yeah. Right. Um, somewhere in the middle of that, Dick Cheney shot his friend in the face and got away with it. <laughs> his friend apologized. Yes. Yes. Not, For yeah. Shot. Yeah. That's true. I don't even have that in my notes, but you're right. Yeah. yeah. No, Dick Cheney. Yeah. Probably drunk almost certainly drunk, shot his friend in the face on a hunting trip, and his friend apologized to him for it. See, in my because... head canon is that he was stone cold sober. Okay. Because it makes it worse. Okay, well, <laughs> and we are talking about Dick Cheney, who is a cyborg vampire. Yeah. So, you, but yeah. I mean, he shot could his be friend right. in the chest and head. Yeah. Um, His friend lived because it was uh, shotgun bird shot. pellets. Yeah, bird shot. Yeah. Um, and his friend apologized to Dick Cheney. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm a fan. I'm still a fan of his writing. I don't agree with him politically, but I'm a fan of P.J. O'Rourke. I was going to say it's P.J. O'Rourke time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and and O'Rourke uh, on on wait wait don't tell me on NPR. Um, o- o- O'Rourke said, "Okay, no. Here's the thing." None of you have ever been grouse hunting, and I have. So let me explain something to you. Mm-hmm. 
you are not sober while you're out grouse hunting. (laughs) Everybody, everybody has been drinking. There are cigars and, and at the Dick Cheney level, Mm -hmm. you have people who are there as, you know, bartender on sure. in the field who are you know you're you're having a drink while you're doing this right, no, right he was he might not have been falling down drunk but he was not stone cold sober okay that is not yep. how this works <laughs> so you know based on that i'm i'm gonna say no Jamie okay. was and 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 that and the thing is for me as a as a gun guy mm-hmm. that makes it worse sure sure because I don't care what the accepted culture is, you have a lethal weapon in your hands. You shouldn't have a shotgun in one hand, like you shouldn't have a shotgun under the crook of your arm and and a gin and tonic in your other hand. Like, no, <laughs> right. That is no, that is not responsible gun handling. Right. You should no. You shouldn't be trying to emulate Keith Richards. Precisely. Yeah. Or or Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. Like, let's not do that. Please. Yeah. So, um, and then, then also in the context of Iraq, mm-hmm. we have Rumsfeld and, and the known unknowns and unknown unknowns speech. Now I will say that I genuinely actually think that that is a very well wrought speech. I disagree with the man vehemently in all the ways, but paring things down into that kind of a punnet square makes a lot of fucking sense. Now he used it, it as a smokescreen for his bullshit, but I actually, yes. I, I I fully uh, yeah. respect that that rhetorical as a, choice. Yes, as a logic exercise and a mm-hmm. rhetorical choice, it makes an awful lot of sense. Yes. But on the but fuck higher that guy, on, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> fuck that guy. But on the on the higher level of mm-hmm. uh, uh, cognitive analysis, yeah, it's a smokescreen for bullshit. Yes, it is. As a PR move, it's a fuck up because if you're not at the level of, okay, no, let's look at the Punnett square, like how many people use Punnett square in conversation on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. It's really easy to go. The fuck is that? Right. Yeah. Yep. That's true. Okay. We have uh, Barack Hussein Obama elected Mm -hmm. president on a slogan of hope, Uh, but then he wound up continuing both conflicts and wound up launching additional missile strikes on other targets in Mm -hmm. other places because of continual commitment to the global war on terror. Right. Do you, uh, and, and if I'm stepping on toes, tell Mm. me, um, does his election represent a threat to the masculinity of boomers? Because a black man dared to get uppity. I'm I'm going to air well not air I'm I'm going to I'm going to come down on the side of it's the 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 vehement opposition to him from white supremacist sectors of society mm. okay. is its own thing sure um and I think thinking of the conservative figures conservative semi-boomer figures boomers and semi-boomers like Mm -hmm. late silence in my own life sure um him being black 
mm-hmm. was not a threat to masculinity, but okay. him being perceived as a liberal gun grabber. Right, right. I mean, which is bullshit. But, yeah. you know, the... The all, perception, all the, the claptrap shit, the yeah, the, the perception okay. on the right of him being this socialist gun grabbing liberal, mm-hmm. um, that, and the fact that a Republican had lost, right, was certainly because of course you know he, he ran against Cheney who was you know war the, hero he former POW, McCain. McCain. oh McCain, Cheney had deferments. Sorry. <laughs> no, I know I, you mixed beers. up the names. Yeah. Two beers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Running against McCain, who was war hero, mm-hmm. uh, you know, naval aviator, which is like prime macho, speaking as the son of a naval aviator. Like well, and holy shit. Macho, macho boomer, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Generational as a as a generational thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, having having based on who his opposition was and the fact that he won. Mm-hmm. yes yeah okay but i but i think but i think it's it's as a threat to masculinity mm-hmm. i think it has less to do with his race and more to do with he's a democrat and democrat means all of these things see and i'm just going to push back a little bit okay on this. um masculinity as defined by the dominant culture at that time and by dominant, I mean the ones that are in charge, not the ones who are demographically the largest number. Yeah. Um, seemed to carry with it a couple things. Heteronormativity, whiteness, and an undercurrent of anti-intellectualism. Jesus Christ. Um, you haven't, he, you don't even have my excuse I know, on. I know. But, uh, and he absolutely <clears throat> embodied the, 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 uh, the latter two. Being, oh, yeah. being black and being a a fucking brilliant scholar, yeah. Um, he did not embody the the heteronormativity uh, or the any challenge to the heteronormativity yeah. because in his first um his first term he he said marriage is between a man and a woman, but that yeah. question was really hot for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would just say that, um you don't have his challenge to the power structure um, and his attractiveness and charisma to the youth of America mm. and this, and, and all of those things without him being also black. And you also don't have all those things being true and not being seen as a threat to primacy. And I think to some extent, the masculinity of that boomer generation. Okay. I, I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced, but I see your train of thought. I, I get, I get the logic behind that. And I, I think that is, that is, that is something that could be debated. It's almost like it it woke up in boomers. The fact that they didn't realize they were kind of (laughs) racist. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, she's going to marry one. Yeah. It was cool with her dating them. Yeah. You know, it's that, yeah. Yeah. That kind of, vibe yeah my grandkids are gonna be what yeah yeah um yeah so yeah so i Mm -hmm. yeah no i i'm okay i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna cave i think you're right that that makes sense i i see that i see that point because because as we're getting toward uh game of thrones uh, yeah there's 
there's some serious white shit going on there and mm. some serious anti-black shit going on there. Mm -hmm. So, so, and yeah. that's, and again, that's why I'm thinking like, why is this so attractive? Just like yeah. why was, you know, walking dead so attractive? And oh yeah a chance for southern people to cheer shooting dark people <sighs> yeah yeah you're not wrong which is what so, we called westerns in the 50s so well yeah yeah so climate change mm. the overwhelming majority of the world and the majority of the u.s population had come around to understanding during this time mm -hmm. that climate change was a problem this was a thing and it was but, kind of the vanguard of that in the popular imagination was the guy who lost, but didn't lost. And, and we all yeah. kind of know he didn't lose. Yeah. Like yes. just, it's, it's hard to, yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't have anything about the 2000 election uh, election yeah. in, in my notes, but you're not wrong. Yeah. Cause Reagan, um, Reagan and Bush both won. Yeah. Their elections until yeah. Bush lost one. And yeah. then you can't really win, and you know that you are. You have to tell yourself every morning that you won, but you yeah. know in your heart of hearts you didn't win. Mm -hmm. Your guys in power, but not in a way that won. So now yeah. it's about power, not about your rightness. And the guy and... who got defeated went and fucking made this movie mm -hmm. that that like how yeah. do we how do we deal with that? You know, yeah. And and so the Republican Party basically mm -hmm. decided we're not going to deal with that. We're going to gaslight the shit out of the American people. Mm -hmm. And I'm jumping ahead in the timeline here, but in February, 2015, mm -hmm. Senator James Inhofe of Oklahoma mm -hmm. brought a snowball onto the Senate floor. Right. And oh, tried God. to argue, I have a snowball. Therefore there cannot be global warming. Yes. And it worked. Um, that's the best part. Like, well, you know what? I think yeah. I think it worked on people who wanted to be gaslighted. I think, yeah, you know. And and the thing is, there's this one segment of the population, mm -hmm. which is largely, but sadly, not entirely generational. Mm -hmm. That, but is predominantly uh, rural, or mm -hmm. or at the very least, ex-urban. Um, who, who, <laughs> the, the people who are on the bleeding edge of climate change and who could really benefit from us actually regulating things. It's a shame we're not going solar because the gaslighting's killing us. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So we, we have, we have all of this stuff happening and, yes. and at the time that, that this is happening, we have mm -hmm. late Gen Xers and early millennials being seeing all of this happening as they're in their teens and twenties. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they start to enter their thirties and they find out they have it even tougher than earlier Xers did. Yeah. Wages are still stagnant, but the cost of uh, rent, food, and especially education have increased exponentially. They're getting saddled with huge college loans. Mm-hmm that they have to have in order to get entry into the white collar working world. Right. But which are going to then leave them in a position where they're not going to be able to afford to buy a house. Right. Until significantly later in life than their boomer parents. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, 
the boomers who are still the biggest demographic block mm-hmm. in the population are insisting on infantilizing them as a generation of, you know, of, uh, of trophy. Uh, what do you call it? Participation trophies. Yeah. Participation. Like it's like fuckers. You're the ones who gave them to us. Exactly that. Like, like you no, yeah. you turned us into participation trophies. You didn't want to have a kid who didn't get a trophy. So you forced trophies on all of us mm-hmm. because it was a status thing. And we pretended to care. To be perfectly honest, as somebody who I never had a participation trophy, yeah. but I did have several things where like the the who's who of American scholars bullshit. Oh um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I pre- I I had to pretend to care because it was a big deal. Basically, like my parents' generation got snookered and thought that that actually fucking matters. Um, and we had to pretend to care about these things. And so not only had had boomers been in were boomers infantilizing mm-hmm. uh, late Gen Xers and, and millennials, but they, they had also been pursuing economic policies because, again, they're, they're still the biggest. Right. Uh, still the biggest uh, uh, block uh, demographically. They've been pursuing economic policies that shut their own kids out of opportunities. Yeah, they pulled the ladder up. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the analogy that continually gets used, and it's yeah. entirely appropriate, right? Mm-hmm. So, in 2011, Game of Thrones shows up on 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 HBO. I think is where it opened. Yeah, it did. and and what do we see there in terms of masculinity and the roles that are portrayed? Well, to start with, climatic, climactically, mm-hmm. climatically, climatically, mm-hmm. it's cold. So fuck you, global warming. <laughs> well, at the beginning of the series, it's not cold. Yeah, beginning of the series, it's it's part of the longest uh, longest summer in in recorded history. That shit's coming to an end, and it's obvious. Yes, that is yeah. true. That yeah. is true. Um, and, and the longest summer is a good thing. It's not a like, man, we're fucking parched. We sure wish we had some snowpack. Yeah, no, no, it's yeah. And and it's cold. Even, even the longest summer, uh, warm as it is, it's still cold up where the Starks are. Well, yes. So we have heroes. Number one, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the pro the, the, essentially the protagonist family, Mm-hmm. Uh, that gets introduced um they are living in a place that is not as favored mm-hmm. as the rest of the kingdom right it's also quaintly remote they can write their own rules it is a rural fantasy it's rural yeomanship yes, yes. yeah and uh again we see Sean Bean mhm right Mm-hmm. And for the first, I'm trying to remember how many episodes of the first season, because it's been a while since I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, he is very clearly the hero because he is the honorable guy who yes. is who loves his wife, loves, loves his, his kids, best friend, yeah. loves dear, dearly, deeply loves his best friend. Right. Yep. And, and we, in mm, the first episode is seen dispensing frontier justice. Yes. Like as a matter of honor, and it's like we're yeah. sitting there going, like, why'd you fucking behead this guy? Yeah, like because duty demanded it, and it's like, and and then he does the whole like the the man who orders it must be the man who does it, yeah, that kind of shit. Yeah, but it's it's 
unnecessarily brutal, which absolutely tickles boomers. Like oh, yeah. almost well. as much as seeing tits on screen. Which, <laughs> which is they also got to see. Well, and that's a huge pull of it in the beginning, yeah. too. Is yeah. like because everybody's going crazy about like, man, they're fucking in that thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, I keep interrupting and I, I won't stop, but no, yeah. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> by all means. So but but um the Starks mm-hmm. as our protagonists, we have Eddard. Mm-hmm. who is the honorable man who winds up being undone by his own dedication to ideals. Yeah. Okay. Because I figured out what the truth is. Mm-hmm. And I figured out that as a matter of fact, the heir to the throne, isn't the son of the King because the King's wife has been fucking her brother. Right. And like, I know this and everybody knows who I am. So they know that I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. Right. So he dies. Yes. <laughs> you know, and and he dies because of his his virtue. His virtue which is a very traditional mm-hmm. masculine virtue of I'm going, you know, I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to yes. tell the truth and you can't buy me. Right. Because I'm I'm lord of the north. Like the only thing you how can do to buy me the only thing you can do to buy me is threaten my children. Mm-hmm. At which point I will play your stupid fucking game. Yeah. And but I will still count on you keeping your word and not being a a vicious little shit. Yeah. Um. And unfortunately, that's vicious little shit. Yeah. yeah. So, so we have Eddard who mm-hmm. who embodies that particular kind of of masculinity, right? Mm-hmm. And. You know, you mentioned the appeal mm-hmm. of him performing frontier justice and yep. the Western tropes that we see him kind of embodying there. Mm-hmm. And then his son, right? I'm going to put in bastard. quotes, John, John the Bastard Snow, mm-hmm. winds up going even farther north mm-hmm. to join the Black Watch, where it's even colder. Where it's even colder mm-hmm. and where he's surrounded by like every layer, every level of toxic masculinity you can imagine. Yes. Right. <laughs> they just gang beat people in. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and so he heads, he heads there and he is the millennial in this equation. Hmm. Because he does not want to follow the example of the behavior of the other members of the Night's Watch. He befriends uh, Sam. Right. And acts as Sam's guardian. Yep. Because because he recognizes the value of Sam's intelligence and his bookishness. I don't know that he recognizes that so much as it's the right thing to do to stand up for for a guy who's done nothing wrong at first. Okay. Later well, on, yeah. he absolutely acknowledges yeah. those things and, and makes good use of them. But yeah. in the beginning, it's yeah. because okay. man, we don't why 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 we're, no, let's not fucking do that. And if you want to fight me, you fight me. Like yeah. it was very much that. Yeah. Yeah. Um and he so so he's a protector of Sam. Yep. And he 
he chafes at it, but mm-hmm. he winds up getting placed instead of being made a ranger. He goes into oh god, uh, he, he gets like he's he gets basically assigned, Chamberlain. He's, yeah, he he gets assigned into the logistics branch yeah. of of the of the watch. Yeah, um, and his entire character arc mm-hmm. again is is a more millennial kind of conception mm-hmm. of of masculinity he he is not the guy who uh you know his his sister winds mm-hmm. up being the one who defeats the night king not just his sister but his little sister it's true um and he by all accounts uh, kit harrington was pretty pissed about that by the way <laughs> yeah i can believe that I yeah. <laughs> I can I can understand that because Kit Harrington's no Viggo Mortensen. Now now having said that, by the way, yeah. um, he also is fairly sexless, mm-hmm. which is a very millennial thing. Like mm-hmm. if you look at like all the studies that come out, and millennials don't like fucking, you know, and da 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 da. Um, and it's it's they're not as driven by that. Like yeah, you know, for any number of really interesting reasons, but essentially. Yeah. Everybody around him, above and below, is down to fuck. Like everyone's trying oh, yeah. to fuck. Oh yeah. Um, and most of them are successful. But because the book's being because yeah, because the book was being written by a boomer. Yes. Um, but uh but like he and Sam really are sexless. These mm-hmm. are the two millennials. It doesn't mean they don't have intimate relations with the with people. They do. He gets he greet and Sam gets um Oh God, what's her name? Um, but uh, I, yeah, the 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 woman who he rescues ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and they both have some really neat relationships along the way. They have some really neat relationships. Yes. Uh, Snow and you yeah. greet. You greet is the badass. The pair of them, like you yes, greet, is. is terrifying. Yes. Well, I, not even not even gonna gonna argue with that. Right. Um, and so he is the closest thing to a protagonist. Like we're going to look at a single protagonist of the series. Mm-hmm. Jon Snow is it. And he's very much a millennial archetype. Yeah, he is. Now parallel. If we have a deuteragonist, it's got to be Tyrion. A hundred percent true. Who is a <laughs> if Gen t- X. Is a complete Gen Xer, right? And he fucks a lot. And he, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, and he's a sarcastic motherfucker, and he's been not he's only overlooked. Yeah. yeah, he's 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 not only been overlooked, but denigrated his entire life. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and who does he make friends with almost immediately? Is Jon Snow? Yes. You know, he's like yes. all all imps are bastards to their father's eyes. Yeah. You know. Um, now, having said that, uh, he also has a good deal of growth that he has. Oh, <laughs> uh, Ed is showing me his shirt, which says, I drink and know things. Yeah, I drink um, and I know things. Yes. Whereas mine says vintage 1997 or 1977. There you go. In a disco kind of font. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> what do you call it? um, but, uh, you know, he, he makes, he, he, where did, where was I going? You distracted me with, he has an arc. Yeah, he has Tyrion. an arc um, yeah. where he comes out of the fuck it, who cares to 
I'm going to make a mark in this world. I'm going to do something good. Well, and not only that, but he yeah. winds up being the one who he names rep- the next king. <laughs> well, yeah, he repeatedly mm-hmm. uh, is put in the position of being like, "Okay, no, look, why the fuck do we have to kill each other?" Yes. Okay, that's 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 the way everybody's done it for forever. I understand that. We don't have to do that, and right. I really don't want to. Right. You know, he 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 literally goes to his sister and says, look, I know you don't care about your people. Right. But I know you care about your children. Unfortunately, doesn't realize your children at that point are all dead because. You know. Right. Right. Also, he also like straight up. Um, oh, God. What was it? He says. Um, it, it's not just about it's not just about like saving the people. It's not just about naming the king. He. Ah, oh, fuck it. I'll come back. To okay. It. Yeah. But, but yeah, he yeah. goes to his sister. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and, and he, he's the one who, as you say, he has the arc of going from like completely cynical. I don't give a shit. I don't care right. anymore. Uh, to, uh, really being at, at rock bottom with, you know, I killed my dad because my family was trying to use me as a scapegoat. Yeah. I shot him on the shitter. Yeah, I shot my dad while he was on the pot, like, you know, and and then he picks himself up mm-hmm. and says, OK, no. I I have I have this person who I believe can fix these things and I'm going to follow them. I'm going to make that happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he absolutely does. Yeah. Um, and I mean, sadly, it winds the world up... to do so, too. Yeah. 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 And sadly, in the end, it winds up being too late because I don't know if the writers were just, you know, uh, nihilists or or what the hell happened in the in the tail end of the last season. But yeah, you know, so we have we have him and we have Jon Snow as as our our Deuteragonist and our protagonist, basically. Yes. And then around them, <clears throat> we have, and I'm forgetting his name right now because I don't have the greatest notes on this but the the other the actual eldest son of eddard stark oh uh rob rob yeah rob stark who like you know up until a certain point in the books i was 110 percent team rob stark let's go and then rob um so rob is a good leader he's a good Mm -hmm. he's a he's a he's a comes into his own really comes into his own he becomes you know, he takes on the role of king in the north when when they go full out. Okay, no, this is rebellion. We're going right, and and he is successful. He's good at it, mm-hmm. and then he winds up thinking with his dick, right? And he and he pisses off the fries and gets himself and his mother and his bride and their unborn child mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of other Starks murdered by the way, spoiler alert um, <laughs> for, you know, the red wedding, which happened like, you know, 10 years ago now, 12 right. years ago, um, you know, and, and so we have, we have again, a traditionally masculine figure and what is his undoing? Uh, his undoing is, it, yeah, it's it's the trapping of masculinity of being a yeah. good husband and a good son and a good you know and a soon to be father, 
And well, well, I know you're saying that it's his dick that undoes him. It's it's he fell in love with her. It's not yeah. because, you know, because if it was his dick, then it's just, you know, he could do what Tyrion yeah. did. Um, yeah. But no, he true. fell in love with her and he's staying faithful to her. So yeah. he's falling into all those old, tro- old tropes of masculinity, of mm-hmm. traditional masculinity, like you yeah. said. Yeah. And and that gets everybody killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly, gets mm-hmm. everybody killed by Walder Fry. Who is the who epitomizes the dark side of that? Yes. Because how many wives has he had? How yeah. young have those wives been? And how many mm-hmm. kids has he had from all of those much younger wives? Right. Whom right? he abuses regularly. Whom, whom he is a bastard, absolute yeah. jackass bastard, too. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, and then we have uh Robert Baratheon. Mm-hmm. Baratheon. Baratheon, would, yeah. Like, okay, the, the way that the way everything got pronounced, like seeing the words on the page and then listening to everybody say all the names on screen, I was like, really? You're talking okay, cool. to a Latin teacher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> so yeah, Robert Baratheon um is yeah. Try I mean, watching Spartacus sometime as a Latin teacher and hear, oh, them, sure. say, hear them say Batiatus. And you're like, who the fuck is that? And they, oh, Batiatus. Got it. Okay. <laughs> God <Nice>. damn it. <laughs> just get used to it. Okay. So, anyway. uh, so Robert Baratheon. Yes. Is, is Henry VIII. Yes. Right. But charming. But charming as hell. Yeah. Um, which, which Henry the eighth pre-injury pre-injury Henry the eighth was capable of being very, very charming. Yes. Yes. Um, Robert Baratheon, the way, the way the characterization is done. And part of this is, I think a credit to the actor Mm -hmm. is, is you look at him and you're like, okay, no, he's actually not a bad guy. He has been embittered by the shit going on around him. Mm-hmm. And he is a bluff, straightforward man who is, who has risen beyond his ability to handle the yes. machinations around him. And, and his, and his coping mechanisms are desperately unhealthy. Yes. Like all these <laughs> things, like I think uh, somebody even said he was a good man, but he was a bad King. Yeah. Like, yeah. He he, absolutely. He was promoted. He he did the right thing for the right reasons, and his reward was more work. It's like shit, yeah, you know, well, god damn it, for which he's incapable yeah. of doing. Yeah. Also, he and his uh, he and what's her face? Um, not Lucilla. God damn, what's her name? Um, the woman who shows violence. The the, the experience. <laughs> um, oh fuck, hold on. Cersei. Cersei. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. He and Cersei have this amazing scene together early on where she says, Was there ever a moment where you love? And they 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 like talk about yeah. the moment where they both turned away from each other. And it was just so heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Because you saw yeah. the humanity in her and the regret in him, and then they both shut it off. Mm-hmm. Like, it, was, it was really good. Really, really good. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. Uh yeah, an amazing performance mm-hmm. by both of them. You know, and, so, and I'm going to pick just a real quick, uh, a okay. real minor character here. Yeah. Um, 
because we're talking about all this masculinity, because we're yeah. talking about a fantasy setting, because we're talking about a world in which your martial prowess is the thing that makes you awesome, right? Yeah. You have a character like the Mountain who is is fucking enormous. Now, I'm actually yeah. not touching him. I just want to okay. point to him. Okay. Because then you have the guy that Eddard Stark hired to teach his youngest daughter, who had not yet gone through puberty, how to fight. The dancer. Serial Foral. And he is Serial Foral. Four foot five and uses a <laughs> a a a toothpick mm-hmm. to teach her. And yep. and he is one of the most martially prolific people. He takes on like five paladins and whoops their asses mm-hmm. with and a toothpick. Fucks them up. Yeah. Yeah. And and so when you look at masculinity and you look at all the things, here is a man who absolutely strikes out on all the aspects of masculinity, and fuck if isn't he, if he is not an impressive, impressive man. Oh yeah, I mean he's being hired to teach a girl how to fight. Like at the mm-hmm. end of the day, in that world, like it's even that shit, and mm-hmm. yet, like he absolutely just like. He is yep. he is this exemplar. So anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't I didn't want to actually speak to the mountain because I knew that you'd have more. But anyway, oh, so yeah. uh, Robert well, Baratheon. I, I, I actually thought you were going to go and talk about mm-hmm. Grey Worm. No, no. Um, okay. But oh God, he's fun. Um, But but Robert Baratheon. Yeah. Whose death is in his fucking name. Yeah. So. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like Lou Gehrig. Like you yeah. knew that shit was coming. You for knew him. that shit was like, coming. Yeah, goddamn. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so he he winds up. Would have been funnier if Lou Gehrig died of Epstein Barr. Now that I think about it, that's really dark. <laughs> like, why are you looking at me that way? <laughs> <laughs> because what the fuck, man? <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, so Robert Borathian, who yeah, was killed yeah, by a boar. who gets who gets gutted by a by a wild boar, yeah, um, you know, and and then his brother-in-law, mm-hmm. who is actually the father of his on paper son, yeah, Jamie is yeah is Jamie Lannister is again a character with an arc. Oh yeah. Um which which they fucked up at the tail end. Like mm. why? But in it as as far as the books have gotten. I see I saw it as addiction. Okay. He's addicted to his sister and Okay. Some people okay. cannot beat their addictions. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um yeah, codependency is mm-hmm. another another aspect of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is in a way a form of addiction also. Also um, like he clearly is is not satisfied sexually with anything else and he lost his good hand so you know what are you gonna do yeah yeah but he he is Mm -hmm. um the the outwardly to everybody to everybody in that society outwardly he is the pinnacle of if you're a dude he's the guy you want to be yeah but we as the viewers mm-hmm. know that as a matter of fact, at the beginning of the series, he's a shit stain of a human being. Yes. Who is who is fucked up in the head. Yep. And is banging his own twin sister. 
Yeah, and murdered a child. And, yes, and 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 attempted, like attempted he did. to commit, like yeah. The only in reason his... he didn't is because he landed on Moss. Like yeah, he tried to kill a child. Yeah, and then we have mm-hmm. the mountain who rides, or the mountain that rides. Mm-hmm. It's not even who rides. The mountain that rides, right? Uh, is is every indictment of toxic masculinity you can imagine he mm-hmm. is the walking embodiment of roid rage yes um even after his death even after his death like they bring him back as a zombie because we need the wall of muscle right yeah um we which don't... that gets to uh what a friend of the show gabriel cruz talks about with abject masculinity mm it ultimately okay. it's a masculinity that its job is to do the violent thing. Yeah. And, and then beyond it that consumes him. Yeah. And destroys him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's yes, a perfect analysis. Mm-hmm. Um and so for the generation, because cause the boomers who are watching this show are, you know. Uh, getting getting excited by the the nudity and the mm-hmm. coarseness of all of that. Yeah, but the the younger audience who's looking at it and the people who are writing it are not boomers. For the TV series, the folks True. that are writing it are not boomers. The folks who are writing it are Gen Xers, early millennials, and what we are seeing on the screen mm-hmm. is the. Uh, the legitimate king mm-hmm. uh, is is being at the beginning at the beginning of everything we find out the legitimate king uh, is is being uh, uh, betrayed by his own wife and his wife's family right who who don't care about anything as long as one of theirs is going to be on the throne because they're mm-hmm. all worried about you know dynastic politics mm-hmm. right and and the Baratheon family are the ones whose name is it, like the king is a Baratheon but everybody everybody who's around him all the time is surrounded by Lannisters all the time right you know and so the Lannisters are going to be the ones who are who are going to who are going to wind up on the throne, even yes. though like he should be a Bar- Baratheon, like the heir is going to wind up being a Lannister for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. Because again, and we have, sister, yeah, or I'm sorry, his wife is yeah. her brother putting yeah. the nasty in dynasty. Yeah. Yes. In all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. And then we have the honorable Western hero town sheriff, show up and we think that you know the the conflict is going to be okay well he's he's going to lead the the you know resistance against the evil corrupt lannisters mm-hmm. and then he gets schwacked and his yep. his daughters one of his daughters winds up disappearing and the other daughter winds up getting held hostage by the lannisters oh god going through one of the worst arcs oh my god like yeah. holy shit there's a whole other whole other set of episodes that can be analyzing well, what happens wave. to her like yeah go back to that checklist and yeah. tell me what didn't happen to aria yeah Not aria what's her name no, uh, sansa. no sansa. sansa sansa yeah, yeah. and so well and and also keep in mind the books that all of this is being written uh, is is being based on were written 
by a boomer. And he wrote all the stuff happening to Sansa unironically. Yes. As a response to, well, you know, Lord of the Rings is just so twee. You know, I, I want to talk about what this w- quote unquote, what this would actually have looked like. Mm-hmm. You know, and for the sake of realism, we have to involve all of this awful sexual violence and all this stuff. Well, and and in his defense, he is depicting what really happened to women in that fictional universe that he thought up. <laughs> yes, yeah. precisely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not his fault. That no, it's that's not in at the all. Fictional universe that he completely thought up and made up. Yeah, no. You know, and, he's just and... keeping it real. Yeah, keeping it real. And and um his his introduction mm-hmm. uh of the character of um uh, Khaleesi mm-hmm. is is oh, used God, by so yeah. Is, well well I'm I'm just talking in, in, in the novels. I'm not oh, even talking okay. I'm I'm not talking about even the ugliness that happened on screen, but his his attempt at a uh, limited omniscient view from um I keep thinking Khaleesi, I can't remember her Targaryen name. Um Daenerys. Daenerys. From from Daenerys's ostensive viewpoint mm-hmm. is is pointed to by female writers as don't do this. This is not how we experience our own bodies. This is male gaze being transplanted onto mm-hmm. a female protagonist. So like, yeah. so, but it is worth noting that because of the power of the viewer over the medium, mm-hmm. what happens to Sansa in the TV series has a different kind of resonance from what happens to Sansa in the books. Okay. And in the end, Mm -hmm. it is Arya who kills the night King. It is Sansa and Arya working together who, who fuck Littlefinger over Mm -hmm. and kill his deserving ass. Okay. In the end. Um, and I think those are, those are very important points when we're talking about masculinity. It's not, Rob right because of course Rob's dead by that point and it's not Jon Snow coming back right and and avenging what was done to his sisters it's the two of them going uh no you're the whole reason all this shit happened and fuck you yeah you're a dead man like game over and then Bronn who -hmm. gets thrown out a window and is is paralyzed his whole he winds up being critically important as the as as the 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 raven right through his through his mystical abilities which are consistently feminized mm-hmm. in in they're viewed as being less masculine well and a better way of putting that and with his par- paralysis he's no longer able to do the martial things yes uh he is paralyzed specifically um in in such a way that that paralysis is total like we're not talking there's no boners there's no there's no successful ejaculation that's going to happen Mm -hmm. is a one and done king he is not going to produce any heirs he Mm -hmm. will if if he chooses an heir it will be by adoption which is an entirely different thing 
Um, and as a result, he has to focus on things that are uh, otherly, otherwise than masculine because mm-hmm. of all of his masculinity has been stripped from him by a man who is supposed to look masculine, mm-hmm. uh, who was acting in the worst ways of masculinity. So, yep. you know, th- this guy um, has to be carried around by other men, has to be protected by women um, mm-hmm. and all of these things like he is absolutely sexless mm-hmm. um when it when it comes to that kind of stuff and more so than than gray worm yeah far more so than gray worm um he's been castrated physically but but uh this young man has been castrated um i i would say in terms of his gender mm-hmm. and there's there's a big difference there but i'm yeah i'm i'm brandsplaining so mm. Wow, all of that, and you choose to end it there. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's as though I'm season seven. Uh, uh, <laughs> ooh, uh, not wrong though. No. Um, and and so so we have all of these all of these different, and like I haven't even gotten into, uh, Brienne of Tarth and, oh damn it, um, the Northman, the the redheaded Northman who who oh, yeah, wants yeah, yeah. Brienne of Tarth desperately badly. And it's yes. one of the most, it's like, it's one of the most wholesome things on it's the whole show. And it great, never yeah. goes anywhere. Yeah. Like, God damn it. I wanted them to get together. Redheaded Viking guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh shit. That's all right. Anyway. anyway, but you know, and, and so we, we have like this whole panoply of, of characters who, who are commentary Mm-hmm. on gender roles and 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 they all many of them meet their ends in in these ways that are rooted in their roles in society which are largely dictated by gender and i think it's it it's Im, important mm-hmm. to note the differences in how this goes versus Lord of the Rings in Lord of the Rings series, the rightful King winds up taking his throne and he through his legitimacy and through his inherent nobility of spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and importantly through the self-sacrifice of the ring bearer and Samwise and everybody else in the fellowship, Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, right wins out in the end, right? Um, and the Dark Lord is defeated. Whereas in Lord of the Ring, or whereas in, in Game of Thrones, um, the good guys frequently get themselves killed because yes. they're the good guys, yes, and uh, the bad guys, um, either prosper. Mm-hmm. or prosper right up until somebody stabs them in the back or they get found out and they meet their their deserved end. And the ending, mm-hmm. politically speaking, is a compromise between a whole bunch of different people. And nobody is really 100% legitimate. Right. And nobody is the hero. Right. And that lines up with everything that millennials and late Gen Xers had seen going on in the world. Mm-hmm. 
because you know Dick Cheney's friend apologized to him. Yeah. Right. And and that's that's like <laughs> when I remembered that event, I was like, you know what? That that might be kind of the the emblematic event for the attitude mm-hmm. toward masculinity because like they're out shooting guns right hunting right right and and so there's this there's this parody of masculinity involved there well and they're shooting guns we're talking about a guy who got five deferments to not have to go and get shot at mm-hmm. who is now crafted uh over 30 years a policy that he's finally able to put into place that sends other people's children to go get shot at. And while they're yeah. getting shot at, he shoots his friend who then apologizes to him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. there's so much. It's, just, it's Lannister level shit. It, it really it is. is. Yeah. It is. Uh, that's too generous to be perfectly honest. I would say okay. Cheney is much more, um, little finger. No, no, no. Uh, the guy. Uh, fuck. What's his name? Um, the guy who marries young women and and killed Rob Stark. Oh, um, Frey. Yeah, Fry. I think he's much more Walter. Walter. Fry. Walter Fry. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. Now I can't I, argue I, with that. I would like to, if if we don't, if you don't mind, tackle mm. a few other characters in this though, because I okay. think it highlights yeah. it. Number one, you have two eunuchs in this show. You have Grey Worm, and you have the fat dude with all the little birds. I forget yeah. his name, but yeah. literally two eunuchs, right? Yeah. And then you have, um, Oh God, what's his name? Uh, Mandalorian, uh, Diego Luna, who plays, Oh yeah. Guy who fights with a spear. Right. Uh, Yeah. So you've got you've got these two eunuchs, both of whom are advisors, both of whom end up advising the same woman, um, mm-hmm. in different ways. Yeah, it's Lord Varus, by the way. Thank you. Is the is the eunuch you're thinking of? Yes. Um. So you've got. And I may eunuchs. and I may have yeah. I may have earlier said Varus Littlefinger because in my head I conflate the two because they're both scheming little bitch boys. Well, and they they are at odds with each other at first yeah. when they're part of the the king's hand, um, or the yeah. the small council. That's what it was called. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Petter uh, Baelish Littlefinger. Yeah. But so. uh, you've got two eunuchs. So men yeah. whose masculinity was literally removed. One yeah. who has all the power over other people through scheming and mm-hmm. spying. Yeah. Um, and he has a very feminine affect because very. of the way he walks. Yes. Um, and then the other one who has power over people um, by virtue of how he enacts masculinity despite not having the masculine yeah. parts, right, in, in that world. Yeah. Um, and And he's advising... Uh, and again, they both end up advising the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that, and 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 this, you know, Varys, his loyalty exists in so much as it keeps him alive, in so much as it keeps him in play, in so much as it serves his ideals. Mm-hmm. Grey Worm, his loyalty exists entirely and solely to the person who liberated him and yeah. to the person who continues to keep him free. And I just think it's really interesting that both men have been castrated 
um, mm-hmm. and and both end up being major advisors. It's it's in you know normally having one eunuch on a show. I mean, I do not mean to make the pun here is unique, um, but this literally mm-hmm. has two, and I think that's that's interesting. Yeah. And then you go over to Diego Luna's character, whose name I don't remember, um, but who will also help me out in in discussing the the very whiteness of this whole world because he comes from the Southern continent where Brown people are. Um, and everybody's last name is sand instead of snow. If they're bastards. Right. Um, yeah, he is all about the sex. Um, and he is all about the vengeance and he is dark skinned and he's fighting the mountain on behalf of Tyrion. Mm -hmm. And he's winning. And by mm-hmm. the way, his weapon is longer and harder than the mountains. And okay. He's able yeah. To outlast the mountain when it comes to fighting prowess. And the only reason that he loses is because he lets his emotions get the better of him and forgets what mm-hmm. he's there for, which is to fight. And the mountain is only there to fight. Yeah, and uh, rips his head off, if I recall. No, rips his head in half. Uh, crushes his skull. Yeah, but like literally, like he he squeezes in, and I I swear to God, there's a pulling that happens. Mm-hmm. So you have the the man meat masculinity destroying mm-hmm. the sexual masculinity over and over and over again in this show. That's a good point. Yeah, and so. And and the only time the sexual masculinity uh, prevails is when it attacks a child, um, because mm. that's you know when he pushes the, the yeah. kid out the window. Um, okay, I yeah. I have to point something out. You keep saying Diego Luna. Mm-hmm. It's Pedro Pascal. Who am I thinking? Oh, I'm thinking of um, Andor. Yeah, you're thinking of yeah. That's I'm that's immediately what I do. You're thinking okay. of Andor. Yeah, it's Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal. There we go. Okay. Um. It's because I liked Andor a lot better. <laughs> I really yeah, do. Yeah. Um, having having seen the first I, I have so much stuff I gotta catch up on. But yeah, yeah, having seen the first couple of episodes, I totally understand that. Yeah. Um, with that being said, as an actor, yes. I'm a huge fan of Pedro Pascal. So oh, I think they're both phenomenal. Um, oh yeah, no, I, I don't mean to take yeah. anything away from Diego Luna by saying right. that at all. Yeah. But yeah. But but yes, <clears throat> I apologize. Pedro yeah, no, Pascal. no, and it's and it's oh. and the character is Oberyn Martell. Okay, okay. Um, but anyway, so he he gets destroyed by yeah. a character who is also it's interesting too because the mountain is both sexless and the whole reason that Pedro Pascal is there, Oberyn Martell is there, is yeah, because the mountain was used as an instrument of rape on his sister. Yes. Um, and so he's sexless, and yet he did commit this this horrific rape. The the interesting thing, mm-hmm. and and I I totally groove on what you're what you're saying there about that. Mm-hmm. Like in the book, mm-hmm. there in the books there there is more context surrounding the mountain. Okay, and Most if I'm rem- if I'm Most remembering, of what we get from him in the show is through yeah. the Hound. Yeah. Well, we, well, we, yeah, in, in, yeah. yeah, in, in the movie, what we mostly get is through the Hound, mm-hmm. and what we see on screen is him engaging in the ultraviolence. 
Yes. Like every like nearly every time he's on screen, yeah. something sanguineous happens, right? Yeah. Um again, that's the abject masculinity. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally 110 percent In the books, um there there are more layers to his shitty masculinity. Mm. And the fact that he is a regular perpetrator of sexual violence. Okay. Yeah. Is is a thing that comes up. He is still leaning in the direction of that abject masculinity. Mm-hmm. But there's also the more rounded ugliness of no no. Um he he part of the reason that he's not married it's not that he's not interested in sex it's that um he he is he is a rapist and so he does not like he hasn't gotten married mm. because no family wants their daughter to marrying like, a rapist yeah yeah be be like he's so bad that other families are like no no that's beyond the pale we're not going to subject you to that <laughs> right you know so yeah so then we'll take a look at him and his brother, the Hound. Yeah, the brothers. The yeah. Hound absolutely hates him. He is scarred and disfigured, and therefore mm. unattractive to anybody who you wouldn't have to pay, um, as as a mate. Um, mm-hmm. His he regularly used the C bomb and and the word cock a lot, mm-hmm. um, but you don't really see him being sexed at all. No, uh, but he he was horribly hurt by his older brother mm-hmm. and carries the physical and emotional scars from that. So you yes. do have a masculinity that is being punished there as well. And you've got that trope of like the older brother supposed to be the protector, but you've also got the bully older brother. But the fact is the parents didn't step in and help him. And mm-hmm. so he is, he is emotionally scarred for life. Yeah. And he ends up kind of being a surrogate big brother in the shittiest ways possible, but at the same time, <laughs> yeah, in a way that is functional, yeah, um, for Arya Stark, yeah, so yeah, yeah, so yeah, so... You, you, you've got, I mean, that show came out starting in 2011, mm-hmm. uh, so the housing crisis was officially over by then, but we're still dealing with the uh, after effects, aftermaths of it, of course. And it was after uh, Obama had been elected president. So you mm-hmm. have a whole bunch of white heteronormative aggrievement. Oh, by the way, Pedro Pascal's character uh, not only was very sensual, was clearly yeah. uh, bisexual. Um, and so having him so destroyed in front of his girlfriend, who they also carried on a polyamorous relationship. Yep. Um, yeah. Anyway, so you've got uh, white aggrievement, heteronormative, uh, white cishet uh, aggrie- aggrievement, um, really, really at the forefront. Um, mm-hmm. And then this show comes on, and it's a dark and gritty, and sex is used as a weapon. And that's just again, that's keeping it real to how it was in in the author's mind, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which in the fictional world he created. Uh, but it sold like hotcakes. Like everybody was fucking talking about it. Everybody, mm-hmm. like, and and it just it to me, it absolutely does feed back to the um, masculinity being tied to whiteness that we saw somewhat thwarted by the election of a black man for president. 
mm-hmm. and by the appointment of uh you know, uh, I'm going to at least say Democrats and liberals uh, to positions of power, if not leftists at all. Yeah. Um, and that was very upsetting in, in the culture war. So, yeah. And, yeah. and so you have that rubber band. This, to me, feels like a regression against third wave feminism and against uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's interesting because again, there's a little bit of of power of the viewer involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the resonance in the zitgeist mm-hmm. was based in that. But I think from from another point of view, what we also see is um, disaffection with yeah. ideas of traditional masculinity and ideology and, takes a massive hit for instance. yeah because none of this is about ideology because the none, ideolo- none of this is about it no the idealists die yeah the idealists are the ones who get killed yeah um and and the the mountain and uh you know the the other characters who who embody you know abject masculinity are are obviously not the hero mm-hmm. uh cal drogo is obviously not the hero. True. Um, and there, there are moments where his hyperviolence is portrayed um uh sympathetically in right. like you know murdering his brother-in-law uh because you know in defense of his wife, mm-hmm. you know, in defense of Daenerys, you know, there's there's a level to which that's sympathetic, but then he winds up dying ugly. Yeah. You know, and um so there's there's this it isn't it isn't a return to what we saw in the 80s because what we saw in the 80s the world has moved on and you can't get away with just, you know, making a cartoonish hyper masculine hero be the hero anymore. That's true. That's very, true. you know, there's been too much water under the bridge and nobody's going to buy that anymore. Um, and so, you know, well, only thing you can do is burn the house down instead. Just... <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You know, and, and we wind up seeing, female characters being movers and shakers and being, you know, if we want to talk about, you know, Cersei Lannister, if we want to analyze her, she is a very empowered female character and she's a fucking villain. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Like, like, you know, and, and we can see Mm -hmm. what, what turned her into that. Right. You know, but she's still a goddamn monster. Yep. Um, you know, Olena Tyrell. Uh, you know, tell Cersei yeah, she, I want I want her to know it was me, right? She yeah, and she honestly is the only one that like is anywhere near like she doesn't use sex as her weapon. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that and and yeah, I mean she's an admirable character on a yeah. lot of levels, but at the end of the day, she does horrible shit. Yeah. Like she fucking yeah, she yeah. yeah. Tell so, Cersei I, I, I it was me. It's like, yeah, you you had that man killed. To be yeah. fair, he had it coming, 
but <laughs> I would go so far as to say he deserved it. I, yes. I don't I don't think he oh. just had it coming. He yeah. fucking deserved it. And I think they did a great job. The the actor, the directors, and the writers did a great yeah. job of making us know that that guy is nothing redeemable about him. Yeah. Yeah. And so. yeah, so we we go from the the eighties where we have to defend this traditional idea of masculinity mm-hmm. to um, the nineties or not the nineties to Lord of the Rings where no, we don't need that anymore mm-hmm. to game of Thrones in, you know, the 2010s yep. where we don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, like, it's really... like, you know, it's, it's, I, I think it's emblematic. You know, you, you were saying that there's been all this, you know, foo about, you know, millennials aren't fucking anymore. Mm-hmm. And like, I think we kind of sort of see not so much the aren't fucking anymore part as the, we don't give a shit about gender roles anymore. Yeah. Like this isn't, this isn't relevant to us anymore because everything around us is such a fucking hellscape that we don't have the energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we don't have the energy to care anymore. Like yeah, nobody has the what? energy to fuck anymore. If, if <laughs> I, yeah, if I want to wear pink, I'm going to wear pink and right. like, I don't care. Um, you know, if, if I, uh, identify as female and I want to, like, I'm trying to think of anything that would, that would be, but you know, l- looking at the character of, um, mm-hmm. Brienne of Tarth, like, you know, she's, she is very much female, but she very yep. much wants to be a knight. And yes. And by the way, she very much fucking is one in the context of the show. Yep. In the context of the world around her, she proves that she is. Yeah. Oh, and you know? she still falls in love and she's still like, she yeah. very is, is she, she wants a dude. Yeah. Um, you know, like all the of those things Jamie are true that too. she wants, but. Anyway. Yeah, but she sees the the goodness in him and wants yeah. that. You know, yeah. and if you take a look at um oh god, the guy the fuck, there's three guys that get castrated in this show. Oh, Reek. Yeah. Um whose name escapes me, but his yeah. sister um mm-hmm. she's all about finding, you know, big tits to sit between, you know? Yeah. Like so like there's plenty of non straight women Brianna yep. Tart just happens to be one. And yeah. yet she is, like you said, she beats the dog. Um, yeah. you know, and she she absolutely yeah, she's she is doing the jobs that were reserved for men mm-hmm. while keeping her femininity um and being six foot two and a fucking badass. Yep. So and and so again, it's mm-hmm. I don't give a shit about your gender norms, right? You know, and and when when you try to tell me that you know this is what a man is, I'm going to point out no, that's what a man is, and that sucks. Mm-hmm. And this is what a man is, and that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Um. You know, well, sucks to be Tarth him. Say like, oh, that's what a man is. I guess I'll have to kick his ass too. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. And so through that lens it's really mm-hmm. interesting to see how game of thrones became this thing that seized the popular imagination mm-hmm. and and has kind of still hung on mm-hmm. you know because now we have house of the dragon right right 
um, which isn't as meteoric a hit, but it's it's getting numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and and so it was a hit for those eight years that it was running. And then Lord of the Rings was a worldwide huge hit. And then in the 1980s, yeah. we had this this bubble. And in each case, mm-hmm. there is this very specific view of what manliness means. Mm-hmm. And they're so strikingly different. Yeah. And and yeah. So that's I'm spent. Yeah. That's that's pretty much that's that's my that's my where I got started with the analysis was I, I made that realization. Yeah. And yeah. So there we are. So what is your take now that we've gone through the entire thing? What is mm-hmm. your primary takeaway? Oh boy. It started badly and it's it's only getting worse. <laughs> like okay. I mean it starts with this very <clears throat> limiting hypermasculine if you're not Arnold you're not shit mm-hmm. kind of thing and then like there there was a brief moment where it was <laughs> there's a lovely bright spot wonderful and healthy and then it just it's degenerated into such awfulness again, and well, you it's know, a nihilistic awfulness. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back a little bit. Okay, not not really hard, but I'm gonna push back a little bit. In that, I think the what we what we see surrounding gender identity in Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. and and you know the whatever I don't care kind right. of that 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 we that we see there and what i see amongst my students who are sixth graders okay is i think we are while i agree that there is a generalism just because the world's is dumpster fire right now uh-huh um i i also think that what i'm seeing amongst my students is more of an understanding of like, okay, the color you wear doesn't doesn't say anything about your masculinity, femininity. Um, and and there is a recognition that you know your gender identity is up to you. And what you choose to do with it is up to you. And I like that, but yeah. that is it's not even an island. It's an air bubble in which people are being held safe in in a ocean of turd. Okay. Um, and that's that's the problem that I have. Okay. I wish to fuck that we had done that at the healthy time. Okay. Because then we wouldn't be dealing maybe with all of these. Like, I like that a lot. I just wish that it wasn't occurring at the same time as what everybody hopes this time is the last gasp of this bullshit because it's just getting worse and more destructive so while i love that my students can identify as non-binary they can identify as fluid they can identify as however the fuck they want on different days yeah and it's just kind of expected that like oh catch up whatever yeah right um, and it's expected that we teachers don't go, 
Are you sure you're not a boy now? Like we don't, you know, we are not to give a shit about mm-hmm. your genitals. Like we are yeah. not to give a shit about uh, you tell me what, and then cool. I'll do my best to remember. It's, it's yeah. like that cool. At the same time, the whole fucking system is falling down around them. That's yeah. the part that bothers me. Like, I love the, the fact that my kids like grow up thinking that interracial marriage is not even a term that deserves to exist because it's just marriage. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, and they, they feel the same way about gay marriage. Um, and th- it's just marriage. Right. Right. And at the same time, uh, you know, my, my daughter's, uh, reproductive rights, uh, are on the chopping block on the same time. Yeah. Uh, if either of my children needs, uh, gender therapy or something, we'd better make sure that we're in certain states and make sure that we're voting hard, you know, and stuff like that. Like, so while it's wonderful, there is, there is the, the persistent and loud effort of a very loud, very hateful minority. And I wish it was just that, but it genuinely feels like there's a nihilistic quality. They're a death cult and they're, Oh yeah. They've got their hands on the wheel. Yeah. And that's, and, and the fact that they have their hands on the wheel, I totally agree with you is, is, is the problem and yeah, sucks. Yeah. So that's why I say it started poorly with the, you know, the the eighties. Um, and it's only gotten worse. Maybe, maybe that's the problem. It hasn't only gotten worse. Yeah. It has definitely gotten worse. Yeah. So, so there, there again, I've carved out a wonderful bubble of sanity for my students and for my children. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see how long it holds. Mm, so, yeah, but anyway, I love this. This was this was fantastic. Um, cool. Do you have any books Good. you want to recommend, or any movies you want people to to go look at, or series, or anything like that? Any media you want them to consume? Um, for everything I said against his description of the first chapter of Daenerys's point of view, mm-hmm. I am going to recommend that people give the first volume of a song of ice and fire mm-hmm. a try. Okay. Uh, George R. R. Martin has many very good things to recommend him as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first book I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say you have to read beyond it, but I think, I think the first book was, is still, a a very compelling story and it's an interesting experiment within the genre okay so that's that's what i'm gonna say there how about you i'm gonna recommend dismembering the male men's bodies britain and the great war by joanna bork that was the one that i was mentioning last week uh, as the world war one but i gave you the world war two one instead this one is phenomenal um and it is it's thick and heavy um, but it absolutely is looking at um, just just gender body studies okay. and and masculinity mm-hmm. as as its own thing. Um, and uh, World War One being uh, very much there's this wonderful picture of uh, a, a Brit. Um, Brit- a, a British soldier and just the way that they were made to stand at attention and stuff like that. And he looks like a pigeon back. Like he just curves upward, you know, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's just really interesting. So, um, and it gives like 
Um, it, it, it it's it's really really good. I I cannot say enough good things about it, uh, especially when you look at how many people were injured by that war who did mm. come back. Never mind the ones who didn't. Um, and and the effects of shell shock as it was called mm. at the time, um, and and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, that's what I recommend. So, uh, where can people find you uh, if you want to be found? Um. On TikTok, I can be found as Mr. Underscore Blaylock. Um, we collectively can be found on Twitter at Geek History Time. Uh, and we can be found on the internet at www.geekhistoryoftime.com. Uh, and of course, you've already found us. If you're listening to this podcast, uh, you've either found our website uh, or you have gone to uh, the Apple Podcast app or Stitcher and have found us there. Wherever you have found us, please take a moment to subscribe if you haven't done so already and give us the five-star review that we know uh, we deserve, uh, that you know we deserve after this. Um, and where can you be found, sir? Um, you know what? Here's what I'm going to say. Come to Sacramento and come to uh, Luna's uh, Cafe in Sacramento on on March 3rd at 8 p.m. uh to see capital punishment uh bring bring $10 bring proof of vaccination and bring your own mask um if not we'll provide one um and then April 7th at um at Henry's uh we will be back there same bat time same jet bat channel as far as the time and the 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 cost that's April 7th and then back on May 5th at Luna's so depending on when this airs so come check that out. We're, we've got some really killer lineups uh, for Capital Punishment. So please come and check those out. Uh, Very so that's, cool. That's, that's where I'll say you can find me. All right. Um, yeah. So for A Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, remember, winter is coming.